Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello there. Welcome back to Better at Work. This is the first episode of season two. I'm so delighted to be back with you all. On this episode, I am joined by William Cowan. Now, he's going to be called Bill for this episode. Bill has over 30 years of experience in senior management positions and has served as an advisor to boards and chief executives worldwide. He's a leader in career transition management. His new book, Building a Winning Career, a Complete Guide to Securing and Thriving in Your Ideal Role describes the strategies that best position you for success while avoiding common mistakes that uh, I certainly have made and we have all made in building our careers. In 25 plus years, he has provided practical guidance. And that's what I love about Bill is his book is very practical as well. Practical guidance to over a thousand senior executives. He has formalized an approach that produces outstanding results for professionals and senior executives and for graduates too. So for any graduates listening, you're going to learn lots here too. Now, previously, Bill led uh, Davison and Associates, consolidating its position as the premier career management firm in Southeast Asia. It was awarded best service business in Australia. Australia by readers of Business Weekly Review. He has an engineering and commerce degree from the University of Melbourne. He was awarded a Harkness Fellowship for two years of graduate study in the US, where he graduated from Harvard Business School with a Master's of Business Administration with high distinction and was made a Baker Scholar. And William was awarded a member of the Order of Australia in 2015 for significant service to the community through education, medical research and arts organisations and to business as well. So, Bill, welcome to Better at Work. We're delighted to have you here. Well, it's lovely to be here, Carl. I'm looking forward to this. Fantastic. Now, to kick off our conversation, Bill, where did this all start for you? Why did you become so interested in helping people build winning careers? There was a slight hint at the very beginning when I was at university because I, I did engineering degree and I found that at the end of the degree, I wrote to the dean of the faculty saying, I've just wasted the last four years of my life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about people. I don't know anything about money. I don't know how to get anything done, organize anything. But I am a very good mathematician. Fortunately, he took pity on me. And uh, in the end, uh, he was a referee for a scholarship and I went to Harvard. But it was really, it took me another 20 years to figure out that this was something I loved doing. It was when I joined Davidson and Associates that uh, not only did I run the business, but I also had to spend time with senior executives who were thinking about their career. And then I found I loved that. So that led to me continuing to do that, really. Uh, that was something because I found I could make a huge difference to people and their lives and their careers. And that was very fulfilling. So I kept doing it. Was there something in your youth or did you ever think back to go, I wonder why did I land here? You know, was where did you sit in the family? Was there anything that you ever looked at and go, this is interesting. Why did I become so interested in helping people with this kind of stuff? I think it took me quite a while to get there because I didn't really sort of aim for it. It, it was thrown in my lap. And uh, I think it turned out that I was quite good at it because I'd had all the business experience. So I was dealing with people who were, had, were senior business people and I, I was a bit like them. I, you know, I'd had senior roles. And so I wasn't just a theoretical person talking about possibilities. I actually had gone through a lot of what they had gone through and uh, it just all came together. It was not something that we could have planned properly at the time. 
Fantastic. Obviously, you've got so many different clients and I'm assuming you're seeing lots about quiet quitting and all these various phrases that are going around at the moment. And of course, we won't mention what's happening at Twitter because it seems everyone's walking out the door of Twitter right now. People seem to want something different. And and are you seeing this play out with your clients? Are you seeing people, are you seeing something different going? People are, are ready for change or COVID's caused? Or, or what, what has, has been your experience? Well, I think COVID has caused many people to think about what they're doing and how they're doing it. I happened to come across the uh, 1976 movie Network. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, no, I haven't. I better. Peter Finch, who is a television news presenter, gets so upset with his job, he starts telling the audience, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take <laughs> this anymore. <laughs> so uh, he... um and he gets everyone to go to the window and shout, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. And the whole city is shouting out the window at the end. And um, I don't see people being as mad as hell yet, but many, many people uh, who are working in big complex organizations are really thinking a lot about where they should be in something smaller, where they can make a real difference much more quickly. And on top of that, there is the incentive that some organizations are very short of people, so they're paying higher salaries. And uh, this makes it very easy for people to jump if they're not happy. I love that. I think I've heard people in office shout what Peter said there. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to look that up. We might have to include that in the ad for this uh, this episode. That sounds hilarious. He won, a, he won an Academy Award for the, doing it. So you can, uh, it's very, very good. Part of the reason for everyone, you know, I really want to get Bill on because he's got a fantastic book out, as I mentioned in the intro, Building a Winning Career. And I have actually, Bill, shared this book with a lot of different people and they love it. It's very practical. Now, in the book, you know, you talk about four areas where people underprepare when they set about looking for a role. Now, you say one of the areas is understanding and articulating their strengths. Two is deciding where to explore. Three is planning to build their network. And four is thinking through how to conduct a successful meeting with a potential future employer. We're going to explore some of these uh, today. And I'll start with understanding and articulating our strengths. Why do you think that, because I've seen this myself, people really struggle with articulating what makes them special or unique. Why, why do you think that is? And why did you start there in, in the book? Well, I think, you know, at one level, people have got particular expertise. You're a surgeon, you're a plumber, whatever. That's fairly clear. But your behaviors, particularly when you're under stress, is not clear at all. And uh, people talk much about their sort of functional skills, but not too much about their behaviors. So I think that is a problem. They don't really understand what their strengths are in totality. And the way I like to think about it is what makes you special? You know, what makes you stand out? And it's not totally clear to, it's not clear to many of the people I work with. And the problem is, they wing it. They don't really have any feedback on what makes them special. And one of the things I like to do is get feedback from other people who've seen them at their best so that these people can tell them what makes them special. But just to explain how difficult it is, it was a survey of one million students in the US and it asked them about their social skills. And 60% of those students ranked themselves in the top 10% of people with social skills and 25% ranked themselves in the top 1%. So it's obvious that these students had no idea about where they fitted into the spectrum of people with social skills. So we need feedback. I worked with a senior lawyer once and she came out of a law firm and we spent quite a lot of time presenting what we thought were her skills, which were mainly illegal is, you know, things that she could do that were in her area of expertise in the law. When we went out and asked people what made her special, they said something totally different. They said, you're the only senior lawyer we know who's fun to work with. Wow. So this was a revelation for us, you know, <laughs> and we actually put it onto what I call a professional profile, which is a marketing document that I put together with people. 
it turned out to be a talking point with everyone that she met. How do you know you're fun to work with? What does it mean? Why are you fun? You know, how do people react when you when they find that you're fun to work with? So that was a real revelation for us. That was a behavior. You know, she had the, all the technical skills, but mm. how did she behave? That's what we learned from that exercise. I love that because you talk about it in the book a lot and, and the importance of, of going out to people and finding out. And actually, there's a lady I've been working with just briefly on, on her career. And we shared, uh, Annette and I actually shared your example templates around and from the book around going out and asking people for feedback. And I think it's a great confidence boost for people as well to get that little bit of a boost of feedback on, oh, I didn't know I was good at that. And I love the idea of that lawyer finding out she was fun. What a unique selling point for her. Do you find as well, Bill, I mean, on this one, I have certainly found with some people over the years, if they're in a job that they're really not enjoying, it really impacts their confidence. So then, you know, if they've worked with a micromanager, say, for a few years, they go, well, I'm not good at anything. And you really have to kind of build them up. Have you have you seen that side as well, where they have great strengths, but their confidence is in the in in the floor or on the floor? Yeah, well, I think that's a very common problem with people who've lost their job. They tend to blame themselves and uh, quite often it's got nothing to do with them. And this feedback is exhilarating for them because we ask them, it's a very simple process. We ask other people who they've worked successfully with, not people who they've had problems with, but people who've seen them at their best. I'm interested in what do you do when you're at your best? And we ask them to feedback under four headings. One is the way you think. Two is the way you work with other people, particularly teams. Three is the way you communicate. And the fourth is anything else that isn't included above, which turns out to be integrity and fun to work with and things like that. It is a revelation to most people that other people see them as ha having so many strengths and so many things that make them special. And uh, we use that Actually, we provide this feedback as part of what I call a professional profile. And uh, it's a real morale booster for people, that, for the people who are doing it. And quite often, recruiters and other people who are doing the hiring can't believe how good the feedback is. And if you're asked, what kind of a leader are you, for instance, it's much better to say, well, actually, I've got some feedback from uh, people I've been working with. Let me show it to you. And it usually the recruiter or the person doing the interviewing is simply amazed by how strong the feedback is. I think it's great. It was one of the best, you know, when I saw it in your book, I thought it was fantastic. And Annette, as everyone knows, my co-host uh, on the show, she has been a huge fan of Bill and has talked about this going out and getting uh, feedback from people for a long time. I think for anyone that's not come across Bill before, it's a really great technique. Now, Bill, in the book, I also love the way you help people answer the question, what do you do? Do. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the book as well. I've seen some of the most talented people struggle with this. They could take two hours to tell you what they do. Um, <laughs> and I loved your succinct example of how to do this. And I, I've, I, I'm going to share one with the audience here and get you to talk about it. But you had in the book, I help and then open bracket target audience do statement of need or opportunity through differentiator, in this case, through fun, to the example you just said of the mm. lawyer, she was probably saying through fun. Now, can you tell us a little bit more on why you put this in, you know, helping people to articulate what do you do? Well, most people totally undersell themselves. For instance, I had a client who was a banker and uh, he used to tell people, I'm a, I work for a bank. It was only when I got to talk to him that he actually lit up because we used this technique and, and what we discovered was he loved helping young parents to raise successful families by financing their first homes. Wow. And he was very proud of this. And they used to have a celebration. Every time they wrote a mortgage with a young family, they would celebrate that this was launching the family, the parents towards having a family. So it was totally different story that, you know, I'm a banker. There's a story about the cleaner at Cape Canaveral, the uh, rocket launching site, who was asked what he did. And he basically said, I helped my country put a man on the moon 
by keeping this facility spotless. I love that. You know, it was what was his purpose? His purpose was putting a man on the moon, not sweeping the floor. And uh, you know, for me, I would say I help my clients build winning careers by providing them with a process that changes their lives. You can come up with your own version for yourself as well. It's so simple to do once you've got this framework. I love how you link there to what lights you up, because I do think that's so critical. And I love that example of the banker. I've seen lots of that. I've worked in financial services for a long time. And you see people that light up when, for example, even when people are in trouble, Bill, when someone's in collections and you're trying to help that person out of it. And I used to see people down in our office in Adelaide and they'd be so happy that they help someone to get into a better position so that they didn't have this financial burden around their neck. So it, it's interesting. I, I, I love the way you articulate that. And that example is fantastic. The other thing you do in the book, and I, I love these, and I would encourage the listener when you get the book to, to read through these, Bill has developed some guiding principles for job search success. Now, I was intrigued by the insight that we need to be able to attract votes when looking for the for a role. I was like, Jesus, I didn't know looking for a job was going to be like the Eurovision <laughs> and I'm going to get nil points, nil points from Germany. You talk a lot about this and you reference a talent model in this part of the book, which, which I really like. But maybe just start with telling us, what, what do you mean by we have to attract votes when looking for a job? Yes. Well, in the old days, I used to talk about this is a, an action oriented uh, activity-based process. You can't work out where you're going to end up at the very beginning. You've got to explore. And But now I talk about winning votes because you actually have to build relationships and build emotional connections. And if you've got a great movie, it doesn't mean you'll win an Oscar because you have to get votes from the Academy. And if you, even if you're an extremely able individual, you still need to be to receive votes from the HR director, the recruiter, yeah. the manager you're going to work for, maybe the chief executive, who knows? But they all have to vote for you. So how do you win votes? Winning votes is nothing to do with being a good executive or good, a capable professional. Just because you're good at your job doesn't mean you can win votes. So uh, I like to sort of talk through with people just how will we get people to vote for you. And of course, I use this talent model. Do you want to maybe touch on a, a few little bits of the talent model? I love it. I actually, for the listener, look, look what I've got marked in my, uh, in my own notes for Bill's book, talent model. It gets a, it gets a, <laughs> it gets its own little sticker. But Bill, I, I loved the way you've got the T for team, A for audience. And it's really simple. L for likability, E for emotional connection, N for negativity. Be positive and avoid any sign of negativity and tenacity. Remain committed and do not give up. It's it's a fantastic little model that uh, that you've included here. And did you find that that was just useful for your clients to have something to go off of or a, a framework that would help them in, yes. in, in kind of bringing this to well, life? Yes, because a lot of people think this is an individual sport. It's actually a team sport. You need to have people supporting you. It's like a politician. You cannot be elected into parliament without getting putting together a team that's supporting you and getting votes. Also, you need to have a story that appeals to your audience and somehow connects with your audience. You can't just have any old story. Likeability is pretty obvious. Emotional connection is probably the most important part of it all. People won't vote for you unless they believe in you. Somehow you have to build an emotional connection. And that's one of the most important things you need to do during your networking. And not many people talk about this. Negativity is pretty obvious. You don't really want to sort of deprecate yourself, but a surprising number of people do. I'm not very good at this. Instead of saying, I've done this and I think I could be very good at it, they sort of say, oh, I've only, you know, haven't really got much experience in this area. And the tenacity is you've got to hang in there. This is not uh, something where you fire, you know, you get a a role on your first application. Usually you need to practice and rehearse. And the way you do that is apply for a number of jobs. I think this model is great. And 
No, I think for people even to get a promotion within their organization, not necessarily go to a different company, but this model works internally. I worked at Goldman Sachs for a long time. You know, to get promotions there, you almost had to copy that talent model, right? It, you, you, you had to have votes from people. You had to have people in different divisions that taught you were doing a good job. You had to prove that you had, uh, were a deliverer or an executor, that you could get things done. And there were so many people involved in you getting a promotion. It was, you know, it was very much, you would be discussed in a room and it would be like, okay, are they ready to get to vice president? Are they ready to get to MD? When I saw that in your book, I thought this is really good because it helps people if they are going for a new job somewhere else. But also, as I said, if they're in a job in a company in Australia or wherever, this is a really good way to think about getting a promotion. So this is a really great model. Clearly, you need to be able to do the job, but that's yes. only a part of it. What's your brand? And then, and also, are you visible? You need to be visible. Now, your process where you work was made you very visible. They, they would be trying to assess that. And I know a lot of our listeners are actually from Goldman Sachs and you were kind of being watched a lot, not in a kind of a big brother crazy way, but actually I found it good because you were being watched a lot so that they were waiting for you to tick off different things so you could get to the next level, which was actually very exciting. Yeah. And hopefully people are coaching you to do that. You know, that's, oh, that's yes, a sign absolutely. of a good organization. Yeah. Yeah. They're coaching you and they're, and I think the other thing that's good about certain organizations is they're looking for opportunities to stretch you. So maybe there's an area that you haven't got experience in. I remember mm. they said to me, we'd like you to go to New York because it would be good for you to get experience in a different location. For any of our listeners, if you work in an organization that is thinking like that, they are actually thinking about how can you get the experience that is needed for the next level. Some organizations, you actually have to go looking for that yourself. Other places, the ecosystem almost picks you up and goes, right, you've done 18 months in that job. We know to get to the next level, you need to do an overseas assignment. And then I used to say it was like some magic hand came down from the sky, <laughs> pulled you up and was like, OK, you're ready for the next thing. And off you go to New York. For our listeners, there's going to be different people on here listening who some will have experienced that, others who won't. When I worked at a company here in Australia, I saw some very talented people who actually didn't get that. There wasn't an ecosystem that went, you've done an amazing job for two years. Let's pull you out, put you over here. It didn't happen. It was up to the individual to kind of have the oomph to do that. And sometimes they didn't have the coach, Bill. You know, like it was funny to come from an organization where I saw that model. And then you go to another place and you see people who don't have that model and you go, these are really talented people. If they got a few of the little nudges that I got, Jesus, they could be on top of the world here. Yeah. So the other thing to remember is you are selling an intangible, you, you know, it's not like a cup of tea or something. It's a future benefit. I'm going to deliver something valuable to you in the future. And that's a much different selling process or a convincing process than it is. I've got a good cup of tea for you. So it's all about, do I trust you to be able to deliver in the future? Will you deliver value in the future? And there's something, I won't trust you to do that unless I have an emotional connection with you, I, I believe. I could talk about that topic for a long time, guys, but that part of the book is fantastic. The whole section around, you know, understanding your strengths, being able to tell your story, what you do, really great. And and this talent model around getting votes, it's, it's really excellent. Bill, slightly different than it's... It, it, kind of link to it, of course, as well is when it comes to job search and maybe building your network and getting votes. How important do you think is LinkedIn and getting the best out of LinkedIn? Oh, I think LinkedIn is is can open a whole new world for you. I, you know, I think it's very important indeed myself because I just did a little quick review. I looked at IBM a few minutes ago and I see that there are 1.8 million people on LinkedIn who've got IBM in their profile. Then I looked at who are my first connections and I found there were 33 people that I knew who were working or had worked in IBM. But it's the second connections that are important. There's, it turns out there's 15,000 people in IBM who I could be connected to through one of my connections. So, and I have some of these 15,000, I have more than 50 connections in common. So these are obviously people where I could be introduced if I thought they were the right people to meet. Now, I wouldn't have had a clue about that if I hadn't had LinkedIn. Let's say I was interested in learning more about IBM. Then in theory, at least, I've got 15 
15,000 people I could be introduced to. And you'll find that probably 10 of them are really important if I was thinking I wanted to learn more about IBM, who should I try to connect to? Well, I can be introduced because the one thing you can't do in this in this game is make cold calls, in my view. I, I, you need warm connections. You need to be introduced. And someone has got to say, I think you could provide wonderful advice to Carl, you know, rather than, you know, I got this guy I just met and I don't know much about him, but, you know, could you meet him? That's not a good way of introducing someone. Exactly, exactly. I think LinkedIn is fantastic. And, you know, I think people underestimate that it is a great way to connect with people. And in the book, you talk a lot about the power of connections and your first, second, third kind of connections that I thought was a really interesting part of the book. I think the other thing with LinkedIn as well is, you know, it is a bit like your shop window. And to your earlier point about that lady that was the lawyer and she was a fun lawyer, I can just imagine her LinkedIn profile having something at the very top going, guess what? I'm a lawyer who's fun, but I still get the job done, you know. And what a great way to advertise yourself. It is your front window of the shop. Don't you agree, Bill? Entirely. And to me, you should have a branding statement under your photograph on LinkedIn, not your job title. You could have your job title, but you should add something to it that tries to describe why you are special. I personally don't think it's good to put a CFO slash CEO slash board director slash, you know, something else. I prefer to say, you know, build strong teams makes a difference. The big question is, do you have any impact? No. Can you make a difference? And that's what most people, many people write CVs and they don't talk at all about their impact. They talk about their job title. I was a CFO and, you know, I was very good at accounting. That's not what you should be talking about. You should be saying, here's my achievement in this role. I don't care what job you've had. You could be a mm-hmm. mailroom attendant, but you could be doing a superb job. You could be providing absolutely outstanding service. You could have strong initiative. You could make people's lives a lot easier. We need to know about that. We can't just say mailroom attendant. I agree with you, Bill. It's funny, I was helping someone with their CV last year and they literally had a laundry list on their CV of everything they had done. And, you know, I was like going, is this stuff you still want to do, for example? No, I never want to do data analytics again. Never again. I remember Jenny Blake, a a really great uh, author in the US, she said, you know, your CV shouldn't be a laundry list of things you no longer want to do, which I thought was a great statement. And and like up with what you said, you should have in there, how do you actually do what you do? What makes you unique? It should be about that. But I think people get caught up in the minute they hear they've got to do their CV or update their LinkedIn, they go, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back and remember all of my jobs in the last five years. And, and it's actually the wrong approach, I think. I believe CVs are totally different from what I call a professional profile, which is more of a marketing document. Because CVs are really, I'm sure recruiters would explain this is not quite right, but fundamentally CVs are risk management documents for recruiters to tell them what jobs you've had. And because they're in the game, they don't want to present a possible prospect, a candidate for a role where they don't fully understand what they've done, why they've done it, how they moved and all that sort of stuff. If you've done stuff 20 years ago, most people are not terribly interested in understanding that in any depth. And yet that sucks up a lot of space in the CV for some people. I'm much more keen on showing what have you done in the last 10 years? Are you a leader? Have you got a track record of making a difference? Do you have good judgment? And do you have energy? Because if you have those four attributes, and you can be a leader in any job, by the way, if you are a leader and you've got a track record of making a difference and you've got energy and you've got good judgment, then you're an interesting person to talk to. That's my view. I think it's a great view, uh, Bill, because, you know, you can't, I used to say to some of my leaders that worked for me over the years, the one that you touched on their energy is so important. You know, Mm. someone can have great skills, but if they have no energy and they don't want to be in the in around the work or actually can impact other people, don't want to interact with that person. So, so important. So really great advice there from Bill for the listeners. And he does give fantastic examples in the book of his style of CV, which I actually really agree with. It's it's uh, the CV, the traditional CV is more. And I love your words there, Bill, a risk management document for a recruiter so that they can go, well, here's where Cahal has worked. Here's what he's done. But it actually isn't the best sales pitch for me. 
we talked a little bit about networking. I know some people perceive networking as self-serving and wonder what's in it for the other person. How do you think we can change that view and understand why building a professional network is is so essential to career success? What, what do you think on that one, Bill? You know, it's very fundamental, I believe, to build your network. And it's building a network for life, by the way. It's not just for the next job. And mm. so... 80% of jobs come from people that you know or people you're introduced to. Only 20% come from recruiters and advertisements. So it's vital. If you believe that 80% of jobs come through your network, you need to expand your network. Now, the problem is, how do you do that? And most people don't know how to do it. Uh, they're much too passive, uh, the advice you receive is usually not helpful. You know, meet more people, have some coffees. You shouldn't be having coffees. You should be having working sessions where you're testing your thinking. But that means before you have a session, you need to think. You need to get your act together. And most people don't do enough work and they don't test their thinking with the, uh, the topic we talked about earlier. Can go out and ask other people what they think makes you special. They haven't done that. They make it up as they go along. And they can't explain what kind of help they would like. They're much too vague. And the technique that you need to use to make progress is to seek advice. Mm -hmm. A lot of people go out and ask for a job. You know, do you know any jobs? That is a killer. <laughs> you know, people freeze. They've got no idea where you could find a job. And they give you quite, um, for me at least, superficial advice. You know, talk to some recruiters or, you know, go to seek. That's not the right answer. What you need to do is find people who, who could be role models for you, who can help you meet other people who might well be able to find something for you or, or might need someone. So it's the most people tackle it the wrong way. And therefore, they're very uncomfortable because they end up making no progress. They're basically, the person says, I'll think about, mm, I'll think about whether I can introduce you to someone. And you know that that's the end of the line, I think. The other problem is people don't treat it as a two-way street. You know, you've got to be able to offer something as well. I would like to help you. If you're talking to a recruiter, you could introduce them to someone, the kind of person they might like to meet for a particular role. So it, it shouldn't be seen as a one-way street. It's a two-way street, but you can't network unless you're properly prepared. But if you can network, and I was talking to a young lawyer the other day, she was very uncomfortable networking to begin with. She's now met 70 people and she loves it. She is meeting all sorts of people. People are offering her jobs. People are offering her consulting assignments. And she said, you know, I'm just a changed person. I've learned how to do this. To begin with, it's tough because most people are not really properly prepared and they don't know how to do it. I think that's fantastic advice because sometimes people are working out, like they're, they're networking with someone. I've had people come and network with me and you can see they haven't done the work, as you said, they haven't worked out what are their strengths, you know, what do people think they are. So they're, it's a rambling conversation and you're almost like trying to help them work out there on the spot and you're like, oh my God, this is quite a lot of work. And then to your point as well, where some people come to networking thinking that you can find them a job or connect them with someone. And you're like, you know what? You haven't done very good for your own brand because so far you don't seem to know what you're good at yet. And you need to go away and do that first. And then to put the burden on me to introduce you to someone when you haven't done the work isn't great either. There's a friend of mine and we talk a lot about, we know a few people who just pester us the whole time going, this job's come up, put me in touch with someone, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't think you've done the work yet to to warrant that. And and I think people, you know, get a little anxious about that, uh, particularly networking people who are not prepared. So I think that's great advice. Now, we've got a new question in this series that we're asking our guests. No right or wrong answer to this one, Bill. We're testing it with you. Uh, <laughs> can you share with our listeners something you learned or experienced at work that unexpectedly made your whole life better? You've got good questions, Carl, I must say. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think one thing I've learned is don't spread yourself too thin. 
Too many people get distracted or take on more tasks and then they find they, they can't do what they're meant to be doing as well as they should be doing it. If you can focus your energy and drive, you're more likely to produce quality work and have more impact and feel more satisfied. I just happened to be reading about um, Dame Nellie Melba who, as uh, many of your listeners will know, was one of the greatest sopranos. And she only sang 12 operatic roles. And yet she was the most famous woman in the Western world in the early 1900s. She and Queen Victoria. So it was, how can you just sing 12 roles and, and yet be so famous that she had people, her um, cortege, her funeral cortege was 50 kilometers long and she had people along the whole route when uh, she was taken to be buried. So it's extraordinary, uh, just reinforced in my mind that if you spread yourself too thin, you are likely to sort of not do as well as you should do. I love that. And so you've almost learned that through working and then it's made your whole life better that you've focused in on things that are the most important, which I think is great advice because, you know, even if you take on too much at work, then you can't get time with your family. And a lot of the studies on happiness says that having the love of your family and everything is actually one of the most important indicators of happiness. So I love that answer, Bill. God, you've set a very high bar for our <laughs> guests for season two now with that answer. Now, we feel finish every interview. So our last question is, um, you know, can you recall the best advice you ever received that made you better at work? And Bill, we get all types of answers to this question. We had someone say that someone in, in Scotland told him, remember, Bruce, it's a whole load of old bollocks. So don't be worrying too much about work. Right through to making sure that you look after everyone on your way up to the next role. But what, what about you? What, what's the best advice you ever received that made you better at work, do you think? Well, I'm a big believer. This is sort of builds on the previous answer, but a big believer in keeping things simple. Human beings have a tendency to overcomplicate things. And this, by the way, is true of people who are looking for jobs. If you ask them to explain what makes them special, they'll normally take much too long and they won't be concise. If you ask them to tell you about themselves, they'll go on at length, whereas I would like them to answer in two minutes. And there is a problem, though, in keeping things simple in that you need to think and you need to prepare. There's a quote from Stephen King, the American author, give me one day and I will give you 10 pages. Give me 10 days and I will give you one page. So in order to be concise, you actually have to think hard, rehearse and test it with other people. So it's not easy to keep things simple, but I have a belief that you make a lot more progress and you're much more likely to be sustainable and enduring if you can keep things simple. What a great answer, Bill, and what a lovely way to wrap our episode. I love the way you linked it back. God, you are good at this marketing of your book, Bill, because that was a nice way to link it back to, uh, you know, tell us about you or tell us what you do in a simple way. And, and it sounds like the best advice that you've ever gotten is keep it simple, be able to do things quickly, but have put the effort in at the back end to make it simple when you're out presenting whatever it is that you're doing. Bill, this has been a fantastic interview. We are so happy that you were able to come on the show and thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and hopefully you'll come back again and, and talk to us at some point in the future. I'd love to. Uh, this is actually a very big topic. That's why I've ended up writing 380 pages about it. <laughs> and it's a fantastic book for anyone uh, that is thinking about their career, wants a winning career, wants a more senior job, this or even a, just a better job, whatever it is, this is a fantastic book for you. For more information on Bill, go to buildingawinningcareer.com. There you will find more information on this fantastic book and useful toolkits, etc., that uh, Bill has provided there on the website. So thank you so much, Bill, and we'll talk to you again soon. A pleasure. Thanks, Carl. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hello there, Annette. Welcome back. We're back for season two. Hi, Carl. So good to be back. Season two already. 
I can't believe it. I hope you're excited for the next season. And I know we've got lots to do in Let's Take This Offline on this season. Lots more questions that have already come through while we were on our break. And of course, we're going to be back to normal talking through the guests and you giving us your great three insights from each guest. And so this week we had Bill and Bill was fantastic. I really enjoyed interviewing Bill. And Annette, I know that you've got three takeaways from the talk with Bill, what were some of your takeaways? I think the the first one for me is strengths, understanding and articulating your strengths, knowing what your behaviors are under stress, but also that focus in on what makes you special, what makes you stand out, which is not your skills. That great example from Bill about the senior lawyer who was known as the only senior lawyer we have worked with who is fun to work with. Bill's process of getting feedback on the way you work, the way you communicate, the way you think. It's a real morale booster. So this understanding and articulating your strengths comes from the self-knowledge, which is that Socratic Delphic maxim of know yourself. Being on that journey of self-knowledge and knowing that you change over time, as well as the 360 degree feedback that Bill sets out in his book, adding to that with Myers-Briggs, the the VIA, the Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, and Bill uses the Berkman Psychological Assessment. So there's lots of tools to help you know yourself better as well as the 360-degree feedback. And I think that knowing your strengths means, you know, helps build that self-knowledge, the self-awareness, and you can leverage those strengths. It links to the School of Positive Psychology, Martin Seligman's work at the University of Pennsylvania, whereas if you can understand your strengths, focus on them and amplify them, you're so much more effective and happier rather than working on the negatives, the development feedbacks, you know, the things that you need to improve on. The science says that if you can focus on amplifying your strengths, those weaknesses and development areas sort of drift away. It's a huge amount of insight in there and power. And once you've got that, it leads into the second insight, Kahal, which is around being able to articulate what you do, being succinct and informed about that. And that comes from all of that self-knowledge work. I think that also helps with your purpose as well. Then the third thing that I absolutely love, and I think this is a must for everyone, is following Bill's talent model. So working those six streams of your talent model, and that then gives you what everyone talks about with what is your brand and and are you visible and having a stream on each of the aspects of the talent model that delivers your personal brand. That's how you get the votes. I think that for the listeners, part of the reason I was very keen to get them on, we do get a lot of questions and I get a lot of questions uh, from people going, I'm stuck in my job. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I, what are my strengths? This was just such a great time to get someone like Bill on so that we could help people with that. A lot of people as well, I think in it, we find they feel their values are no longer aligned to a company. They just are not enjoying their job. So we thought we'll start season two with helping you get some clarity around that. The book is really practical. You can see I've got the book here and I've got a lot of post-its in it. It's a very, it's, it's, it's kind of set out logically, if that makes sense. I mean, first of all, I need to know myself. I need to know what my strengths are. Secondly, you know, networks are very important. That was a big thing I took away from it. Bill shared the example of that young graduate who went and applied for 500 roles and didn't get a response from any of them or wasn't successful in any of those. And actually the network being important. No point in going and networking with people if you don't actually know your strengths and you're trying to work that out with the person that you're networking with. One of the big takeaways for me in it was the networking piece, how to use LinkedIn from networking. And also that Bill looks at it in the way that I would look at it, that networking shouldn't be you off having a cup of tea and putting all the pressure on one someone you're meeting to get you a job. It's not the way. It's got to be a two-way street. That concept of reciprocity of the yes. approach. Some people think that, oh, networking, it's sort of unfair and I'm trying to jump the queue and yes. that there's something there around jobs for friends. You know, if you've got two candidates who are the same skills, experience and so on, if you have someone who someone you know and trust recommends as having worked with them, that's the deciding factor. 
trust and referral is really important for making the right decision for their organization. That's a reality. And then if you also can approach it with reciprocity, what can I do to help them? What I loved about Bill was his breakdown of the ABC contacts that you have or networks that you have. And most of the jobs are got through the C network, which I think is very true. You know, your A network are people that you know and, you know, that are going to have a discussion with you, but they'll put you in touch with someone in your B network. And it's usually the B that leads to the C. So I thought that was really good. His whole concept about getting votes that really did align with what I have seen. You know, I think you mentioned it there as well. And it, when I worked at Goldman Sachs, that was really the way you got promoted was you got votes to get your promotion. It was really down to you had to show that you were ready for the next role. You had shown examples that you could do strategy, that you could lead a team. You were involved in committees and all of these different things. And you got votes and that was how it worked. So I think Bill shared stuff in this book that it really put down in words a lot of stuff that I've personally seen being very successful over the years. And it's just great that this is available now for other people to learn from and get some guidance on. One thing that, Annette, you and I chat about a lot is that when people are in a job that they're struggling with and they're really not happy, they don't have the energy sometimes to know where to begin. Bill's book, Building a Winning Career, A Complete Guide to Securing and Thriving in Your Ideal Role is really where to begin. It's not overwhelming. He's got the numbers. He's got the data. Follow this process and it will work. We both had a bit of fun with him, with uh, one of his quotes. (laughs) Oh, yes, Kahal. I'm now on a tough day. I'll be going to the window and probably yelling without making a noise. I love that. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's going to be my go-to stress management tactic. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm as mad as hell and I don't give a damn. It was really hilarious. It kind of reminded me of what Bruce Daisley said on one of our earlier episodes. Bruce, remember, it's all a whole load of old bollocks, which was a real leveler. And I felt the same there with uh, with the lovely Bill sharing that quote with us. So, you know, in all seriousness, it was a great book. Three great takeaways there from Annette. Really understand your strengths, really understanding what do you do, what you bring to the table. And her third takeaway, understanding, you know, where you're going to get your votes from. We already feel like we want to get Bill back again. So thank you, Annette, for that. We have got questions again this season. I know that you've got a question this week, I think from Diane, is that right? Yes, from Diane. I applied for a job I really wanted and I was unsuccessful. The feedback was my communication could have been better. I spoke too quickly and I didn't talk convincingly about the big picture for the government department I work in. What should I do? I want to progress and be promoted. Poor Diane, she's probably feeling very down that she didn't get that promotion. Listening to that question, I want to say well done to you for asking them for feedback as to why you didn't get the role. Secondly, I think what it reminds me of here, Annette, is that Diane is obviously trying to get a promotion. It's in an organization she's already in. And I suppose I go back to the Goldman Sachs example of you have to have buy-in for you to get a role, right? And it kind of links as well to Bill's point of getting votes to get those promotions. Now, what's happened here? Why hasn't Diane got the votes to get this promotion? Is it down to the communication piece? Is it down that she hasn't shown a vision? Or have they used that as a bit of an excuse and she just not ready for that? Because that's the one thing, you know, when you do ask people for feedback, sometimes they don't give you fully the reasons as to why you didn't get the role? Did they have a preferred candidate internally that got the role? So I think she should think about if she wants to stay in the organization she's in. Yes, she needs to think about the communication piece and the other piece they said about giving a bigger vision. But is there a little bit of work she needs to do about getting some votes for her? What is it that she can do to be seen as someone that is ready for the next role? Is there someone that can mentor her in the organization that has a role 
at the level she wants to be at? And could she sit down with them and say, look, I got this feedback. What do you think I need to do? Do I need to get votes from other people? Do I need to be seen on different projects? What can I do to get there? My thoughts for Diane is firstly thinking about that interview where the feedback was that she spoke to quickly and her communication could have been better. My questions there for Diane is, was she nervous going into that interview? And if that's the case, to work on some things before the next interview around being present, maybe doing some meditation beforehand. The converse of that, the other advice is have a coffee half an hour before an interview. So you're really, you know, ready to go with that, with that sharpness. It's getting, you know, understanding what was going on for Diane before that uh, interview. With that being present, that she'll have that awareness of if she's speaking too quickly. So that calm awareness and presence. I think there's also, and you know, this can feel odd and false and so on, but there's practicing for the interview, spending time with a trusted friend to come up with some likely questions and answering those out loud. So getting the answers out of Diane's head, off the page and practicing them and being comfortable about talking out loud rather than some of these answers, the first time she attempts to articulate them out loud is in the interview. That role playing would be my second thought. In these interviews, being ready to change the conversation, having five, six, seven questions. When Diane is asked, do you have any questions for us to be ready with the question that hasn't been covered? Or when she gives an answer to then be able to add on a question that's linked to the answer that she's given. And one that would have, I think, worked ideally for Diane in this interview was, I'd love to understand from your perspectives, how is the strategy for the division tracking? And that would have given an opportunity for those perspectives to be shared and Diane could have commented on those. And there's that brain-friendly science or the behavioral economics things that happens is when an interviewer does more of the talking, they think that the interview went better. There's something about communicating their thoughts and having those endorsed with body language that they come away thinking that was a better interview. So I think we'll probably include the links. So here are some questions that anyone can ask any interview that really work around making it more of a dialogue and, and, and asking questions. And Bill talks about that a lot, doesn't he, as well in the book. And you have always been a big advocate of those kind of questions that you would ask They're on my people. cut and paste. I, yes. yeah, sending them I know, out I've to seen them. anyone going for an interview. Here's the questions. You allow the person interviewing you to have some time to share their challenges. And actually, you learn a lot um, in that moment. You get that emotional connection from the talent model as well. For Diane's question, the communication episode. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think we should share that. I mean, we thought communication was a big area because a lot of people struggle with communication, either verbal, written, whatever it is, interviews, presenting to their team. We are going to have Marianne O'Brien on and Marianne is actually a communications expert over in the US. Uh, She's got a fantastic book called the Elevated Communicator. And she'll be on a little bit later this season, Annette, uh, with us to discuss that and get as many tips as we can. So I think for Diane, stay tuned. That is coming. If any of you have a question that you would like Annette and I to help with, do send it into us. We are answering questions real time all the time outside of the show. So we'd love to help you. Find us on LinkedIn so they can message you or I, connect with us on LinkedIn. Also email us through our website. Um, If you go to betteratwork.com.au. That is it, Annette, for this episode of Better at Work. Thank you so much for agreeing to join me again for season two. I'm so excited. And we have lots of fun guests coming up on this season. Do stay tuned. You'll get some previews of who those guests are on social media, etc. over the coming weeks. We also have a brand new newsletter that's going to be coming out through LinkedIn as well. That's on the way. So it's going to be a great season ahead. And we are so excited that you'll be joining us on Better at Work. Because Annette, what do we say when work is better? Life is better. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.